Hey, this is Dunce Cap, and you're listening to Cabbage's Hip Hop Podcast. It was just you guys dismissed the idea that Leprechaun could take Chucky so quickly without even considering the Leprechaun's powers whatsoever. You just like handed Chucky the belt without any discussion. And that rubbed me the wrong way. And now that I've seen a second Leprechaun film, it's it's even more apparent to me that Leprechaun would win this fight because the powers from the first Leprechaun are barely even used in the second Leprechaun. We're talking about a whole new set of powers for the leprechaun. Whereas Chucky's got the same demonic nonsense, stabby, stabby thing the whole time. See, this is where I disagree with you. And again, I'm not an expert on the child's play films. My opinion on it definitely Nor am came, I. came from the gut, but we did have an expert on the show. Fat boy Sharif is somebody who knows these movies and he knows the leprechaun movies. No disrespect, but I just disagree. You can disagree, but this is you're disagreeing with an expert. It's like it's like being anti-vaccine. Like, you know, you may have your opinion about microchips and all that, but this is somebody who understands First of the all, science. Assigning me the idea that I believe in microchips inside vaccines because I think leprechaun can beat Chucky is a touch of a stretch. I don't think it's that far reached to be perfectly. Wow. Wow, I'm anti-vax now because I think that the leprechaun can be if the leprechaun has his gold. I think he can beat Chucky. I think you're just maybe susceptible to bad information, conspiracy theories, um, and wrong ideas about who would win in a horror movie fight. That's outlandish. That's outlandish to say that. Bad information? I'm taking it straight from the films. Look, in the first film, right? Do you believe this election was stolen? From whomst? Maybe we should just talk about this movie. Maybe. Uh, That's what I'm trying to do here. So the first Leprechaun, he's able to teleport. Uh, He's able to uh, operate machinery that is obviously not built for him. So he probably has some sort of like control over that machinery, you would think. Uh, His weaknesses are, are less pronounced. There's a four-leaf clover, which is a weakness, and, and, and also shoes to some extent. And in the second one, the, the weakness is wrought iron. Uh, but those are not like known weaknesses. It's not like people come into these battles and they're like, all right, cool. I got my four-leaf clover. It's not like with vampires where people are like, all right, I got my, I've got my wooden stake. I feel like this is a conversation that children have, and it's starting to make my head hurt at how much thought you're putting into the who would win in a fight superman versus batman uh, this but superman versus batman is easy one has powers and the other one is rich it's 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 kind of a no-brainer on that one this is one has powers the other one is uh i guess kissed by the devil as much as I am loath to continue this part of the conversation, I'm sure it will come up with our guests a little later as we move on with this show. I hope that we can try to keep this conversation largely to the discussion of Leprechaun 2. Uh, we have some fantastic guests uh, lined up today. Uh, so uh, let's, uh, let's try to focus on that.
No, I want to focus. I want to focus entirely on the Chucky versus Leprechaun thing until you at least admit that I have points. You won't even admit that I have a point. You're just saying, no, you're wrong. And then saying, I'm not a Chucky expert. Correct on all fronts. The first film, the first film, once he gets his gold, he is wildly powerful. And if not for the old man telling them that they need to find a four-leaf clover, they're all dead, guaranteed. I would think that you would side with the leprechaun because of his cop killing. Just because I believe all cops are bad doesn't mean that I'm going to say that the leprechaun would beat Chucky in a fight. That's absurd. As absurd as saying that because I believe the leprechaun can beat Chucky in a fight that I'm anti-vax and I don't believe in fair elections. You've heard it here first. Jeff is anti-vax and doesn't believe in fair elections. This is, this is terrifying. Hello and welcome to Shamrocks, a Leprechaun movie podcast, the only unofficial weekly hip-hop podcast about the Leprechaun cinematic universe. I'm your host, Gary Suarez. I'm a freelance music journalist and critic, and I write a twice-weekly hip-hop newsletter called Cabbages, which you can subscribe to for free at cabbages.substack.com. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, music industry insider Jeffrey Lachlan. Hello, Jeffrey. How are you? You, you, have, you have really put me in a corner here. As an, You've painted me into an anti-vaxxer, pro-Trump weirdo because I like the leprechaun in a fight against Chucky. And I think it's unfair. Now, film number one, he's maliciously taunted and his gold is stolen. Yeah. And film two, it's only one piece of gold is stolen. And I have trouble. I do have trouble trying to figure out like if more gold is stolen, is he less powerful? Uh. Is this like a, is this like a levels thing where like, if he finds more of his gold, because like other people's gold doesn't really add to his power. That's just his avarice. Jeff, uh-huh. I'm just trying to get through the intro. Right. Like you're just taking this way too seriously. Okay. You're saying I'm taking it too, like Hubie Halloween. I was like, you know, a doubter, a powder and a shouter. And I was deemed to be a terrible person. We had to go to therapy about it. But now I'm like into the films and you're like, oh, it's not that serious. Oh, it's not really that big a deal. You're making too big of a deal about it. Even though I called you an anti-vaxxer, pro-Trump, capital stormer. Let's just be able to move forward. Can we just go and talk about this? Can I continue? Can I just finish the rest of this intro, please? And we can bring our fantastic guests on. Does the leprechaun eat? Today we'll be talking about Leprechaun 2 the 1994 sequel that Variety Magazine called, quote, a nasty piece of business that revels in chicanery and gore. And this time around, the leprechaun isn't just looking for his gold, he's looking for love. Aren't we all? Back in a moment. I'm so excited to introduce our guests for today's show. Joining us now is Leah Sotilli. She's a journalist with bylines in places like the New York Times and Playboy magazine. 
and she hosts the podcast Two Minutes Past Nine for BBC4 and Bundyville for Oregon Public Broadcasting. Also joining us today is Dunscap. The Brooklyn-based rapper is recorded for labels including Backwood Studios and You Don't Deserve This Beautiful Art. His latest album is called Resting Dunspace, available on Bandcamp and wherever music is streamed or sold. Please welcome both Leah and Dunscap to the show. Hello and welcome to you both. Hello. Hello there. How are you today? Oh, that's wonderful. Warm, dulcet tones. Well, we're here to talk about Leprechaun 2. Jukon! Oh, dear God. <laughs> I think one thing we can all agree on is the prevalence of alcohol as a uh, driver in this film. Uh, starting with the discovery of the hobo's bottle that lures the leprechaun out of his tree, Mm. and then the iconic drinking contest scene. So my first question is, um, do you agree with the leprechaun's view that the only whiskey is Irish whiskey? I mean, I feel like I'm kind of a generalist when it comes to drinking, so just sort of whatever is handed to me, I won't uh, (laughs) make a stink about yeah, you know, I'm kind of more along those lines. Also, I, I'm more of a clear liquors guy, you know? Not, right, neither same. of you is going to be the leprechaun's brat. I, I, I guess I wouldn't. The Canadian whiskey, that was a big deal. I wouldn't put up a fuss about it, you know? Same. Yeah, I was a little surprised about his uh, being lured out by that bottle of blended Canadian. Um, considering, as we learned later, we spend some time inside the leprechaun's home, which has many surprises. Mm. Uh, one of those surprises being uh, plenty of bottles of whiskey. Uh, so I was a bit perplexed why that was in any way the kind of thing that would draw him out of that tree. Well, um, and at that point, he's, what, 2,000 years old? You'd think that he'd have a sense beyond of the contents beyond the glass, right? Like that he would know if it was Canadian or Irish whiskey at that point? I don't know. No, I think you're right, because if he could smell the lineage of his former slave and uh, first would-be bride from a thousand years prior in the present day of Bridget, it seems to me he should be able to smell through a glass bottle what is and is not Irish whiskey. 100%. Well, okay, but think about this, though. It's been a thousand. Do we think it's been a thousand years since he's been on the surface? He said millennia, like, at least once, right? So. Yeah, it's been a millennia mm. since he's been upstairs, if you will. So <laughs> yeah. if he hasn't been upstairs in, in a thousand years, maybe, like, how does he have the whiskey from, like, in his lair? Where did that come from? Where did any of the cool tools Is it just from? aged? A thousand years? A millennia. I like it. I would totally drink a thousand-year-old whiskey, I guess. What I guess is is not been stated is whether or not he spent those thousand years in seclusion you have to assume that being a sneaky little leprechaun Hmm. he has uh, had adventures out in the world uh, during this time period uh, collecting gold and and what have you you would assume one of them was the first adventure we watched he no we would not assume that because that we as we've discussed before jeff there's entirely separate things between that these are two different movies but it's not two different leprechauns Wait, so is the first is the first movie not canon? That's what I'm being told, but I believe that the leprechaun is just fooling people. He doesn't really care how old he is. 
I have a lot of questions about a lot of things. Yeah, me too. Um, fair, fair. <laughs> but the alcohol is a good part to start off because, like, before the last movie was a lot like very shoe centric, mm. but now it's all booze centric. This is a grown up version. Uh, the first movie, uh, as we said on the first podcast, was originally a children's film. The studio rejected and said, make it a hard R. And they recorded, did reshoots that brought in uh, new scenes of gore. You know, I don't think they could have made it as shoe centric in the second film. <laughs> that being said, I think it's best not to think too hard about the first film as we talk about the second, because as I've said to Jeff before, these are distinct movies, regardless of the fact that they have the same star. I just um, think he has a lot of powers and he only exercises the ones he feels like at the time. And yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. So yeah. think of, if you're thinking about the first film at all, which I do a lot for some reason, uh, I wish you wouldn't. Yeah, I but. know that. I know that you wish things. I do. And I, I, I'm going against your wishes on this. The, the first film powers overlap a little bit. The only difference really is the green lightning that shoots out of his fingers and the fact that four-leaf clovers are somehow replaced with wrought iron. Oh, yeah. That wrought iron is uh, somehow leprechaun allergic. I wondered if I had like missed that in the first in the first one. That wasn't that wasn't in the first Leprechaun at all, no, right? There was no wrought iron mentioned at all. And the only four leaf clover <laughs> I feel like in two was like on the front of his little um, like death machine go kart. Mm -hmm. If there was like a little yeah. four leaf clover with like an X through it, mm. he didn't like. Yeah, it was it was him advertising that he does not like four four leaf clovers. I thought that was a good detail. Yeah. Also, I just think it's funny, wrought iron is like, wrought iron, like it's just a complete sentence almost, like it's just a type of like iron? Like what? what is this? What is wrought iron? I I'm looking it up. It surprises me how how much there was of it in Hollywood <laughs> uh, in the uh, the mid 1990s. I just, I just don't really think I could find a lot of wrought iron in my apartment today. Um, I'm looking around. <laughs> Maybe in my heater? I don't I don't know. It's but an, it's it an seems... iron alloy with low carbon content. What is that? Like, why do leprechauns hate it? <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, Jeff, while you're researching, uh, are cauldrons, are cauldrons typically uh, wrought iron? I would uh -huh. think that they would be. Oh, that's a that really makes good point. a very yeah, okay. I'm I'm looking that up. Uh those are more cast iron, it says here. Oh, cast iron. And cast Different iron than is rotten. mentioned in the Wikipedia. Cast iron is 2.1 to 4% carbon content, <laughs> whereas wrought iron is less than 0.08%. Which something here with carbon and leprechauns. Yeah. So, but like if leprechauns are allergic to carbon, then, you know, don't they just explode? I was very confused the first time he came into contact with wrought iron in Leprechaun 2 because it hadn't been explained that they were allergic or, the, or maybe it's just his it's like a shellfish allergy it's like his his allergy oh so like well okay do you think you know so allergies and allergens like change in people as they get older after a thousand years perhaps wrought iron has become a thing so for the first thousand years it was gluten it might have been <laughs> he just like wasn't a bread guy can I bring this back to reality? Because I think once we start reading things off the internet on a podcast, we are losing the plot here. The reason why why wrought iron is his kryptonite, so to speak, uh, is because the director of 
this movie, Rodman Flender, a real person's name, is not the same director as the first movie. And this director, Rodman Flender, took creative license as he went through this. You know, he'd previously worked for B-movie master Roger Corman. He directed an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Later, he would go on direct uh, episodes of shows like The Office and Ugly Betty and uh, the 1999 uh, uh, popular uh, cult film uh, Idle Hands. He came to this with his own ideas of what things should be. So he created this weakness for wrought iron. He created the rule about the three sneezes um, and the thousand years. So uh, he's also responsible for this bizarre rule that I still have a great deal of trouble with, is that he can't kill Cody when he has the shilling. And that that's something that I'm really most concerned about because it seems to me that he's able to uh, do harm to a lot of people who try to get his gold uh, or even just have gold, as we've learned, uh, whether it is the agent on uh, on Hollywood Boulevard or the hobo uh, with the gold tooth. I'm wondering, what do you think is so special about this particular coin that makes it protect Cody from the leprechaun's uh, murderous rage? Well, that's a good question. In the first film... He has magic powers if he has all of the gold. So maybe the reverse is also if he doesn't have all of the gold, he loses his abilities somehow. Well, how would that be the case if he was able to do what he did to Morty? I don't really want to okay. call him Morty. I want to call him uh, D-grade George Carlin. Okay, thank <laughs> God. I was going to bring up, he sounds just like it's, George Carlin. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy how much they sound alike, yeah. You may have also seen him, uh, the actor Sandy Barron, played Jack Klompas on Seinfeld, uh, the episode with the pen. That's where I was trying to, I was trying to figure out. Oh, he looked familiar. He's done a lot of other things too, but I think that's where a lot of our listeners, millennials, Mm. uh, will recognize uh, him from. The shillings themselves are his original gold, and everything else is just avarice. The original gold has power. That's That's the point I was trying to make. And maybe since this movie is about his wife and like, you know, wedding night, maybe, you know, he can't, you know, get it on without the gold. Maybe it's that's the undertone here. I haven't really thought about that. The real horror of this film is not the gruesome kills or any of the twists and turns in the leprechaun's lair. It's the disgusting rapiness of the leprechaun towards Bridget, uh, Siobhan Durkin. It's it's the stuff that would have been in uh, a Saw film or a Hostel film later on. You know, it's the, the implications when he gets her to his home in that tree is that he's going to disfigure her. Yeah, I was confused. So like who came up with, did he come up with his own rule that leprechaun babies won't uh, won't eat unless the mother. Oh, looks like the a wee leprechaun. ones won't suckle if you don't look like them. Exactly. Well, like, where well, did this rule come from? Who? Yeah, who that I have like a lot of leprechaun ooh, sex look, education. You'll get used also to the that pain. they have litters. Mm. They that leprechauns apparently have litters. Surprising. There are many surprises in a leprechaun's home. <laughs> this is from Rodman Flender. Again, this is these are the ideas that have come from his mind. And right. he thinks that horny leprechaun is the way to go for this movie. I, I don't know. What the fuck is the deal with baby leprechauns? Where do lep babies come from? 
like the leprechaun has magic on his side. Can he just magically impregnate his his bride? He kind of did that with the money and, and uh, right. that poor man. Right, exactly. Like he can make things grow inside of people. Perhaps that's why he's maybe choosing the amount of babies that are going to come from this, this bride sitch. Like with the missing gold, is it that he can't, like, is that part of it? He can't impregnate Bridget without the gold, all of the gold? Or is it like, I feel like there's some element there of that getting that gold in order to like execute these plans of disfiguring Bridget and enslaving her and creating weird leprechaun babies in her body. If he's going to disfigure this human, how is this going to happen to where she looks like a leprechaun? Well, he says quite explicitly it, many changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine this is sort of in the uh, kind of body horror style uh, of films. I think about Tusk, for example. You know what oh, they boy. what they did to Justin Long in that film um, is quite a transformation. I imagine it's something along those lines. Um, but I want to get back to 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 Leah's point because I think I'm wondering if it's something specific about that shilling. Like he was looking for that one shilling on top of her when he dumped out his gold on top of her body. Maybe there's mm. something specific about that mm. one shilling mm-hmm. um, that wasn't particularly well explained in the script, uh, but that might be the thing that is preventing him from doing it. I wasn't clear on why he, I, I mean, I've never had gold dumped on me, so I'm not really sure why one would do no, that, but I thought lived. it was the ring too. I know, right? Like, <laughs> You know, I, I spend, that's usually my Saturday as I just kind of lay around with a cool dress on, get some, get some, <laughs> just, Gold dumped on me. Pretty sick. The less we know about your life outside of this show, the better, Jeff. Okay. You um, know, I think these people like my outside life as part of this podcast. I would uh, politely disagree. Okay. Fair enough. The only thing I can really think of is like with most cases of impotence, it's psychological. Uh, that's the best conclusion that I can come up to with this. Is I think that there is something about it that makes him feel inadequate or unable to perform um, if he doesn't have all of his gold. You know, as many cases of impotence are, where there's if you don't feel like you have all the right conditions, uh, you might be uh, in feeling as if uh, second guessing yourself or feeling as though you might not be able to perform at uh, the level that you want to perform at. And you know, it's clear he hasn't had uh, sex. Uh, or whatever the leprechaun version of sex is, again, quite mysterious, um, and thankfully left to the imagination. Wait, do we know that showing. though? Do we know he hasn't hasn't boned in a thousand years? He he did say uh, towards the end of the film that uh, it's been a long time since he's had someone care for his needs. Oh, um, that's correct. Good call. Do you think he jerks off a lot because? I was thinking, Not like, if he doesn't have all his gold. Uh, well, okay. Well, he had it like in in the tree, right? Well, he he has all these illusions and stuff. Like, I was thinking, like, why does he really even <laughs> need to <laughs> need a girl at all? Like, why hurt a girl? You got illusions, man. Like, just chill. Well, you know, again, I think it goes back to uh, the uh, the the stigmas associated. Um, uh, with Roman Catholicism, again, him being Irish, um, I think have really been drilled into people. I think the idea of, of from people of a certain age and the leprechaun again being 2000 years old, um, there's a bit of a discomfort around the idea of uh, self-pleasuring. And so I think that that probably has something to do with uh, his chastity um, and his, uh, you might say he's the original incel, uh, interestingly enough. Oof. Huh. 
I, I, I hate to be the one to make this connection, but no one has yet. So I will. Uh, Please. I mean, there's an inherent Trumpiness, right? Mm. To, to the leprechaun in the gold, like dripping in gold, the machismo around uh, this needing all the gold. But I'm thinking that like, yeah, he can't fully perform. I like this impotence argument that maybe he can't fully perform without every single bit of gold in the same way that we've seen. And the, the, and the gold is magic. The, the gold has magic powers in both films. Mm-hmm. That is one of the one of the main gel points of the two films is that without the gold, he's singularly focused on the gold and that's it. Like he leaves it's a treatise on capitalism, right? The whole movie, the whole concept. He he leaves his bride to just like, I guess, starve. There's no food down there. There's nothing for her to do. Uh, and she can't escape, as we find out. So he just leaves his bride and is like, I gotta go get this gold, and then we can like continue our, I guess, thousand years together. I didn't read Marla Maples' memoirs, so I can't say for certain uh, if it's a one-to-one. But I think there is something to be said about uh, the issues of inequality that show up in this. You know, a leprechaun has all the gold and wants more and more for senseless reasons. He's not even spending it. He is beyond miserly. Um, And then you have characters like uh, Cody, uh, hustling young on the on Hollywood Boulevard, trying to get people on that tour, uh, and Morty running that uh, disastrous uh, financial financially disastrous tour himself. I think there's uh, there's something to be said about uh, class inequality and uh, financial insecurity that plays strongly into the film. Mm. Well, I mean, he is a, a greedy bastard, and. Mm he really enjoys pain as well. Other people's pain really like sets him off. It's a doggy dog world. Yeah. And so that's like a double, that's a double whammy. If he gets to rip somebody's finger off and it has a ring on it, that's just double delight. Well, that guy was also awesome that he ripped the finger off. Mm. He's like, Cause he's like, what a quarter? Quarter is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> he just rips his finger off and he goes, finger licking good. Like, <laughs> Like, come on. I got to say, like, uh, Warwick Davis, like, murdered all of his, like, quippy bars. He was spitting bars the whole time. I I love him. Like, I love the leprechaun unconditionally. Uh, and I will fight for the leprechaun. I One of the things that's, that's married this whole experience for me uh, that's just been incredible is that I've hated all of the characters that the leprechaun torments. It's been fantastic. He like picks his victims so beautifully, minus like a couple here and there, shopkeeps, that sort of thing. He's a cop killer and he's constantly messing with boring white people. It's amazing. He's an amazing character. He like lawnmowered that one guy's face, right? In this one, that guy was terrible. He was was definitely, oh, yeah, Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. Also, Cody's like not a great guy. That's the lead, right? Like he's, he's no catch. He's swindling people. He's like, hey, these suckers who want to, hey, like Disney can't compete with this. Like, come on, man. Like, let him go to Disney. But isn't he also supposed to be um, teenaged? I mean, the idea is that he's True. he's he is not 
you know, he's what, like 16, 17 or how he's supposed to be in this film. He's not supposed to be an adult with scruples. He's under somehow come under the wing of this, you know, huckster. Uh, who's who, orphaned, right? He was his, isn't that what uh, Morty low grade George Carlin said? By that point in the film, I'm just wary of anything that Morty says as whether it might be truthful or not. But I think if we do take that at face value, you know, Cody's come under the wing of this guy struggling to survive, you know, as as many people do in Hollywood, or, or so I hear. I think there's a lot of commentary about Hollywood in this film. Obviously, the Hollywood agent is the most overt version of it. You know, Cody is somebody who's in Hollywood not to have, you know, an acting career. He's not aspiring to be uh, some kind of film star. He's just trying to get by and make a few bucks along the way. At some point, Morty, while in the police station, the kid tells Morty that he should become an actor and Morty goes, eh, there's no money in it. Mm. Which is amazing because they have no money. Anyway, they, yeah, they, they live in squalor. Hey, there's nothing to their lives. It's amazing. So much of the script seems like it's coming from the mind of someone feeling quite jaded by Hollywood. He'd done some acting, you know, Rodman Flender had done some acting work as well. And, you know, for Warwick Davis, who had had plenty of good parts prior to this, you know, he'd done Willow, Turn of the Jedi. Uh, and then, of course, there's the fight with um, William Skeleton, uh, the thousand year old skeleton undead um which uh is a metaphor for nothing <laughs> yeah i thought he was pretty much freed when uh when he blessed uh the girl sneezing in the woods which was the same actress right that played bridget it was oh, yes that's something okay. <laughs> that's something i definitely want to hit on for a second uh that the lineage of the o'days uh has changed 0% in a thousand years. <laughs> she looks exactly the same as her, however many great you put in front of grandmother. It's been a thousand years and, and they're the exact same people. That's pretty incredible. That takes a lot of determination to marry people like Cody over and over and over again hmm. to create the same type of human. Wait, also he saved his daughter by saying like god bless you or something so he the leprechaun laid it out for him and said if she sneezes thrice she'll be my bride right, right? and yeah. then he gave away the thing that the guy could do he said if you just say god bless you it breaks the spell but your freedom is now uh now back off the table as a bargaining chip hmm I see. Yeah. So he did not gain his freedom by freeing his daughter. Mm. Assumingly, he gave his he received his freedom through death by having through his, death. his yes. next step. I thought that was that was the end. Death was the end. But apparently, Same. but leprechauns are tricksters. Maybe he had his fingers crossed. That is something that we saw in the film. Mm -hmm. He still keeps his fingers crossed when he lies, though. It's true. The power of lying. Which also feels like a very modern touch. Like, I, where would he learn about finger crossing? Is that modern? I guess that's a good question. Really, where? Uh, and Jeff, you like to read things off the internet. Do yeah, feel free to go One look. Uh, feel free to go things. look it up while the rest of us have a conversation. Um, <laughs> it does seem like a very '90s sort of movie trope, uh, '80s or '90s movie film trope. The idea of the cross your fingers. It took me out of the moment. I guess. Well, let me uh, tell you something, Gary. Let me bring you back in the moment. Common usage of the gesture traces back to early centuries of the Christian church. 
like the leprechaun days. Yeah, they would cross their fingers to invoke the power associated with Christ's cross. Huh. So you think they did that like during unprotected sex and stuff too? Yeah. No, I mean, I know for a fact that that keeps you from being able to have babies. <laughs> That's what I thought. I'm sorry, litters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone in this, it seems like this movie is all like uh, grifters, right? Like it's, there's a whole lot of grifting happening in this movie. Does, is the leprechaun a grifter or is he like he grifts? He steals. He takes the uh, poor man's tooth out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. He's willing mm-hmm. to go that far, but he, it does seem like he's a grifter. And he's the, wildly and that, uh, vicious, but he's also yeah, he's a trickster as well. Maybe it's just like an addiction to gold. That's definitely part of it. Yeah, addiction. Hello, people. <laughs> alcohol. Speaking of the alcohol, I, we we should discuss at some point the drinking contest. Uh, the unfair drinking contest. Okay, I'm confused because when the bartender gave him, what did he say, red special uh-huh, or something? Uh-huh. It was like, what did he say? It was a blend of, of Coke and and what? Some water? Good question. It wasn't alcohol. I believe so. It was a non-alcoholic mixture. Yeah. So then when, when he says like, give me a bottle of red special mm-hmm. and then gives that to the leprechaun, I was very confused why. Okay, so, so he drunk. the leprechaun got hard liquor. The leprechaun got hard liquor and Morty had the bottle of the red special rye for himself. And so he was drinking the red special rye, which was non-alcoholic. And the, he tricked the leprechaun, which is a tricking the trickster sort of thing, a Shakespearean turn, if you will. And I felt like Morty was like the, uh, the wise jester of this film, if we're going to go Shakespearean. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he tricked the leprechaun and got him really, really wasted. And one of my favorite parts of the film was the leprechaun trying to throw an ashtray in their faces. <laughs> that was awesome. Was totally unable to do it. <laughs> so wasted. And he, he couldn't even do his leprechaun rhyme either. Right. He was really trying to be a leprechaun, but was like, oh man, this is bad. <laughs> but then he was able to still escape. So it was very short-lived. Right. He had the, he had the, the presence of mind, even under all that circumstance, just smash a bottle over Morty's head and get out of there. So also, I like that Morty was leaving. Well, that didn't work. I'm like, what did you expect to do while he was drunk? Right. I think you were going to do with this leprechaun while he was too wasted to even teleport a, uh, a an ashtray. Also, for someone who like comes out of their treehouse after a thousand years for a bottle of booze, like I feel like it wouldn't be so much of a thing that like debilitates him. He has like magic powers. Why? He did drink six. It looked like to me, I didn't get a full count. It was at least six, five or six bottles of liquor. Oh, complete bottles. Right. He like down six bottles of liquor. which by the way, that bar has got to be pretty upset about not getting paid on those. That's like swindlers keep swindling, you know, swindlers going to swindle. Yeah, the leprechaun's refusal to pay for things certainly factors uh, into a lot of this film. And perhaps the most shocking version is immediately following this scene when uh, he is next seen at an espresso bar drinking ungodly amounts of coffee, or at least shown uh, with tons of cups of coffee laid out in front of him. And the barista, played by Mad TV's Michael McDonald. The second best Michael McDonald. 
The first, obviously, uh, being who exactly? The f- the best Michael McDonald is the blue eyed soul singer. Uh, of I keep forgetting, put it together. Come on, Gary. I didn't know he actually had songs. Oh, oh, you got- oh my! This is this is meant to hurt me, right? You guys got together beforehand. Are you gonna say that Michael McDonald, who gave us loads of laughs on Mad TV, is somehow lesser than the guy who sang? a cover of Ain't No Mountain High Enough to Sell Me Long Distance Calling? Not only am I going <laughs> to say it, I already said it. That's He also that... gave us I Keep Forgetting, which became Warren G's Regulate. So let's not like jump around and act like this isn't an amazing thing. We're on a rap podcast. People like- Look, Michael if you want to talk about the merits of Warren G, I'm all here for that. <laughs> that not for this episode, uh, but for a different episode, for <laughs> sure. And we'd love to have you guys back to talk about Warren G with us. Um, sure. But we are in talking the Michael McDonald episode. Oh, sure. But Done. I think oh, we can. Please. I think I think we can all disagree with Jeff on this. Um, all does everybody? I want to know. Does I don't know how stand I stand against Michael McDonald on this. On the 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 blue eyed soul, gray bearded Michael McDonald of the Doobie I, Brothers. I by the way, I think he's forgettable. I mean, you're forgettable. That's Jeff, I, I've never been a big Steely Dan person. He like, wasn't in Steely Dan. And- wasn't he in Steely Dan? He did backup vocals. He, he was did in backup the Doobie vocals. Brothers. That's how unmemorable he is, clearly, Jeff. Oh, he did. No, he was in Steely Dan. He, he, uh, maybe he, he did, did backup vocals. Steely Dan. He did Peg. Regardless, Doobie Brothers don't really do it for me, but I can see, it's like one of those things where you can see that there, the person does a thing that's notable, at least. I mean, I can see that he's notable. You don't know me, but I'm your brother. That's all I have to say about that. I can't do it. <laughs> Can we talk about powers? Can we talk about the leprechaun's powers for a second? As long as you won't sing about them, I'm open to it. Okay, first, that I have a beautiful voice. I sing like an angel. It wasn't that bad. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. I'm sorry, Tuck. I appreciate the bicker, but, you know, that was all right. <laughs> so powers. Uh, so we have a, a running thing. I believe that the leprechaun can beat Chucky. Uh, Gary and every other guest we've had thus far, Fat Boy Sharif being the only one, uh, don't believe that. But I want to talk about powers in this specific film. Metaphysically maintains a slave with a tightening collar, can, dis- can disappear, can put people under spells to force them to fall in love, can become other people and or manifest them, can throw other people's voices, can move objects with his mind, uh, can make people sneeze and okay. can make other people teleport with him. All right. I got, that's like three. That's illusion. Mm-hmm. That's force mm-hmm. and uh, teleporting. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, to be fair, I haven't seen all of the child's play movies. And I, but right now, before when I saw the first, the first one, I would say, hey, I'm, up, I'm up for this fight. I even messaged, you know, the, the podcast. And like now, got to say, Lep, Lep 2, his powers are looking a little weak. But, you know. Thank I'm, you. Thank you. But I did think the first scene, I was like, I want to see this guy in, a, in like a Mortal Kombat game. Like, mm. I think he's a cool fighting, like gristly dude. Mm-hmm. But he's he's weak in this movie for sure. Like he's crossing his fingers to do shit. I mean, I know that's not for powers, but like, so like, yeah, I think if he's he a doesn't nice guy have all his gold, I totally understand how you would feel like Chuck. But if we're looking at a world where 
all things are even and he has his gold, I'm picking the leprechaun. Does Chucky have any, what is Chucky's like key weakness, not having seen those movies in a very long time? Because I feel like the leprechaun has pretty big weaknesses, right? If he doesn't have a coin, he's like impotent and can't like do things completely. And he's able to get like, you could get him drunk pretty easily. It seems like six. It was six know. bottles of liquor. Come on, it wasn't. Well, he's a thousand easy. years old. He should have a tolerance at this point, right? Thank you. Two thousand years old. Mm-hmm. I don't. How is being? I feel like older people have lower tolerances. Am I crazy? Yeah. I mean, I've never met someone that old. And I think that's an ageist statement as well. Uh, it's Jeff, ageist which... to think that people who are older don't drink as much. Well, you changed it. It was actually that they could handle their alcohol. Thank you. Well, you're thanking a lot, Gary. Gary, Gary you're incorrect on this. Leprechaun can beat Chucky straight. Come on, guys. I think it what's, would be what's a Chucky's tie. weakness, though. <laughs> like, does Chucky have a key weakness? Like, if he doesn't have a coin, like he his can't batteries fully perform. You, can, right. you can't kill Chucky. Chucky never dies. You can't destroy Chucky. And like the difference between, and I've said this to Jeff before, the difference between the Chucky movies and the Leprechaun movies is Chucky is a concept created by essentially one person who has written and or directed all the so films. So the Leprechaun's in that weakness is that there are different directors in the in the cinematic universe. That's ridiculous. I don't buy that. That's absolutely Chucky is ridiculous. Chucky. Chucky is not the writer of Chucky. <laughs> Like, I'm not fighting Stan Lee if I'm fighting Spider-Man. That's a fine point. Thank you, Dunscap. <laughs> Download my music. <laughs> but yeah. I do wonder, are you making a comparison between the Leprechaun and Chucky because they're both small? Yes. That's exactly maybe what it, maybe, maybe it should be, what's, it, what's an fair, old, though. maybe it should be a very old villain. Like, what would that person be? Who's, who's 2,000 years old? Uh, a know. mummy. <laughs> yeah, you would have to go mummy or vampire in that world, right? Do werewolves sure live forever? I don't think they do. I mean, I think he'd beat the shit out of a Dracula. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident of that. I'm with that. Dracula? Mm, leprechaun? Yeah, I, I'm team lep. Like, the leprechaun can handle sunlight just fine. Mm-hmm. Right. True, yeah. Right, there aren't whole portions of like the the day he can't function. I think he would be Freddy Krueger's like little daytime boy, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not a boy; that's derogatory. But like his daytime associate, because they're kind of the same thing, you know. They're like, say say something f- fucking cool, and then like use illusion to psychologically torture your victim. Not to mention, can like raise. I didn't even put in can raise the dead and wrinkly heads. Oh, they've got very <laughs> wrinkly heads. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad we got through that. I knew we needed to do that, and I'm glad we got it out of the <laughs> way. So this film has a uh, a relatively low death cult, which is quite surprising to me. You've got Ian, who's the rapey goat cart jerk. Mm. Uh, you have the barista, played again by uh, the great Michael McDonald. Morty, who has the most fantastic kill, most fantastic death scene in the film with the uh, pot of gold uh, appearing in his tummy. And the security guard, whose name we thankfully never learn. And then I would say, and this it's five in total if you count William O'Day, who yeah. continues to live on as an undead skeleton. But I have trouble believing that uh, he we, really counts. Do we count the leprechaun as a death? No, we never count the leprechaun as a death okay, because cool, he doesn't cool. die. 
Well, yeah, he, he did doesn't, blow he, up. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, he blows up, but I mean, that's, you know, as, like he, he, he has it a tendency more... to explode. Well, he explodes in the second one. The first one was kind of like, I'm dead, gurgle, gurgle, wink, wink, you know? But this one, like, it was like, all right, <laughs> see you later. Yeah, it was, a, it was an actual, like, he really blew up. <laughs> so he really, it was pretty like It wasn't like little pieces slithered back. <laughs> I wasn't expecting a, a, a Leprechaun 3, I'll tell you that. Now, obviously, uh, they did the sequels to this, you know, after the first movie was in the sticks and the second movie was in Los Angeles. He goes to Las Vegas. He goes to space. He goes to the hood twice after the second hood movie. He hasn't done a, He hasn't done another one since uh, they've done two reboots of quality that uh, is not worth us discussing. We like, to, we like to think those don't exist. They're non-canonical. Um, but the Warwick Davis, when asked about what to do for uh, a new movie sequel, he came up with the idea of a sequel that was Pirates of the Caribbean style, where you know he appears, uh, you know, it's a, it takes him into a period piece. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how he might fare on the high seas. This is blowing my mind. I hadn't thought about this. I'm not prepared. I would, I, I love the idea of him going into, uh, going into that sort of world and, and doing something on a boat because everybody's trapped on a boat. Yeah. And also like pirates is another thing that just like makes sense with this. If it's old timey pirates too, there's no, there's not going to be a lot of wrought iron other than the cannons, I guess. But buried treasure there's some buried treasure elements. There's also no grass. So you're not going to get any, uh, you know, Three, perhaps the captain has a bookmark or something that's a, that's a four leaf clover, but you're really probably not going to see one. Guys, I really like this. Like, yeah, I was going to say, this is a great idea. It seems like a pro leprechaun environment. Like he could really do a lot of damage. They're doing another willow. Maybe this will happen. I'm hoping once he gets done with that, he'll return to his, uh, his most beloved character. Seriously, tis the decade for this kind of thing. And if that's his idea, dude, it's too good. It's too good. Warwick knows knows this. Okay. Uh, I like it better than one, mostly because the first one is like still stuck between kid and adult film. And this was a film, while it wasn't very good, was definitely for adults. See, I really like the fact that the first movie is in that category of not quite one thing or the other. It's one of my favorite things in watching a B movie or watching a movie that is, you know, not going to win any Oscars by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Totally. I do love a film that you kind of have to sit back and be like, who's this for? Who was the intended audience? And I feel like the intended audience of Leprechaun 2 was set in stone. Uh, whereas the first one, of course, was not. 
Yeah, and you know, I think about for me the movie Old Dogs uh, with uh, John Travolta and Robin Williams. One of the greatest worst films of all time. A film that I nearly peed myself from laughing at how terrible it truly was. It is so funny for its awfulness. And I've watched it multiple times and I have yet to figure out who this film is actually for. I've never, this is something that my friends and I have debated for years. When they made Old Dogs, who did they make it for? Was it a children's film? The kids are prevalent in it. Because you know, kids love John Travolta. And Robin Williams. I know when I was six, I was like, oh man, I want to see the next Robin Williams film. Yeah, at some point, you have to just realize that these films get made and they get reshoots and they fall into complete tonal disarray. And as a viewer and aficionado of this category of film, I love it so much. And that's why I think I have an affection. I would say an affection. An affection for the first Leprechaun movie. Because when you understand that a lot of the decisions that were made were to make it palatable for a 12-year-old. When you told me that in the first podcast, I did not know that until you told me. And it like totally explained why he was on so many wheels, why he was like riding behind a car on roller skates when he has magical powers and just appear in the car. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, Whereas in this one, all all of the powers associated with the leprechaun were specifically like malicious. Exactly. I think the problem with the problem with Leprechaun 2 is that it is very much a Roger Corman style film mm. that fully embraces the tropes of a Roger Corman film. There's the gratuitous nudity. And we didn't talk was about it. I mean, it was only one nude scene. There was one nude right. scene that was but very it was gratuitous. Long. It was repeatedly showed. Bridget's breasts. Mm -hmm. And again, she's supposed to be a teenager. So it really does add a certain gross factor to it. uh, That makes sense. Looking at it with today's eyes. But it's exactly the kind of thing that you would see. However, the comeuppance of that scene was very good. I mean, that guy getting his face sawed off by fans. Oh, that's that's a delight. Pretty sick. Look, if it hadn't been for the uh, incredible kill scene with Morty and the pot of gold... That would have easily been the best one thus far in the whole series. For sure. It would have been. No Those question. are one and two. So it's like Morty's stomach exploding with a pot of gold. Yeah. <laughs> Which still makes me laugh. Uh, and then this guy's fan face are like one and two in the series thus far. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, we haven't seen any more of them. So it knows what it is now. Hmm. The first movie didn't know what it was. And that made it unpredictable. Do you think that cures itself? Do you think that cures itself in 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 part three? Uh, is okay. So there's like a, a a couple of different types of Vegas movies. There's entrenched Vegas with your like casino type style, where these are lifelong Vegas people doing Vegas shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like cheating the system. Ocean's Eleven comes to mind. Uh, yes, casino, yes. that sort of thing. Entrenched in it, they know how to beat the system. Gamblers, that sort of thing. Degenerates. Uh, 
And then there's like road trippy Vegas style where you're like rolling up and you're like, oh my God, Vegas, Vegas, baby. Which one do you think this one's going to be? Again, I have seen the third one, but it's been about six years. So I am hazy on the details. If I recall the third one correctly, I feel like you're leaning more into the humor side of things. So it's like uh, outsiders coming in and, and trying to game Vegas. Okay. And it just like, I think when you think about where is a great place to put the leprechaun, putting him in Las Vegas makes a great deal of sense. Um, it makes a great deal of sense from the perspective of that this is a very, this has been to date, a very West Coast centric uh, series has. of films. Like, has. He hasn't come to New York you know, he hasn't gone. We have, we have asked people where the leprechaun should go next. And nobody's been like the East coast. Right. No America. one's like, no one's like, send him to Philly. <laughs> right. You know, let's, let's, let's see what happens when he's in Baltimore. Honestly, leprechaun in Baltimore would be kind of sick depending upon the, the, the years, like the, the era of Baltimore he's in. It's only really one place. The leprechaun belongs on the East coast and it's Boston. Oh, sure. Boston. He's got to be in Boston. He's There's no other reason why uh, he should go to the East Coast. I yeah. like the idea of the leprechaun hanging in Miami, the port of Miami leprechaun. You mean it's just him, like him and Rick, Rick Ross? Ross. It's, a, it's a just like a fun time. They're just being doing gangster shit, you know, and then Rick Ross turns on him and takes his gold. I can't wait for him to interact with rappers. I don't see finally how he interacts with non-white people. Mm, that will be fun. Because uh, we haven't seen that yet. There's no way they can make people of color in this worse than the white people that have been in these movies. So maybe I'll actually cheer for somebody who's not the leprechaun at some point. Thus far, I've just been like leprechaun all day long. <laughs> Look, it's, it's been very easy to root for the leprechaun in these films um Agreed. and I, the truth is like we're talking about the fifth and sixth films or the hood films mm. so it's we may we may have stockholm syndrome by then um, or killarney syndrome i suppose uh, he is the genius from killarney do you think you were going to fool the genius from killarney can we talk about this genius aspect for a sec? Because that is a little baffling to me. He truly believes he's a genius. What was, I'm looking up the quote now. Did you think you could outsmart me, the genius of Killarney? There's a real narcissism that exists there that absolutely blows my mind because he is tricked in the end with a milk chocolate coin. Right. Like he can, he's so good with gold, but in this case, he was so greedy, I guess. That he didn't notice that when he grabbed it, it like was malleable immediately. <laughs> and this goes back to why I think Chucky would whoop his ass because okay. he is easily fooled. All right. He thinks he's hot shit. He thinks he is this so master Chuck trickster. Like Chucky's also got a an air of like killers in these films always have this air of like, I am amazing. Freddie was was hugely like into himself. You know what I mean? They're all, what's the word I'm looking for? Narcissism. Narcissism. That's it. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, I think most horror, most horror movie killers have a certain narcissistic hubris to them. Right. I think that's a fair you, statement. And, and this is, this comes to a question. Do you believe that the leprechaun has extra narcissism? There's an extra layer of narcissism because of the greed, the avarice? A hundred percent. I think that's, you know, that is his Achilles heel. 
in many ways. You forget about wrought iron, you know, which only lasts, which wasn't in the first movie. And I don't know if it'll last in the next one. I get uh, the so. feeling it won't. <laughs> I get the feeling the, the powers and the, the problems will shift from movie to movie. I think that's the dynamic. Yeah. As we go forward with this series, we'll get a better sense of, of his personality. Um, but it seems to me that narcissism and greed drive him and he has a confidence, a self-confidence that's overinflated and in at least one case ends up with him uh, exploding. The pride comes before the explosion. That is, that's a known known. We know that. Well said. I, I have one more question for you. Sure. Did you have your fingers crossed when you said you hated Michael McDonald? Yes. I knew it. Michael McDonald rules and you knew that he ruled and you lied to these people. But since you had your fingers crossed, I can't really get mad. Keep me from getting to you, baby.